Well, we're together again Wednesday night and uh, just this midweek study in the Bible. And thank you for joining. And I do pray that this evening would be uh, a benefit. And we're going to be tackling a topic that I think would be close to our hearts. Uh, certainly an issue that we would from time to time be thinking about. And so I thought uh, to begin this evening, I would read a prayer from Psalm 86. And uh, so do pray with me. It's a prayer of David, and uh, it has the heading, Great is your steadfast love. And so he prays, Incline your ear, O Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. Preserve my life, for I am godly. Save your servant who trusts in you. You are my God. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for to you do I cry all the day. Gladden the soul of your servant, for to you, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. Give ear, O Lord, to my prayer. Listen to my plea for grace. In the day of my trouble, I call upon you, for you answer me. There is none like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, shall glorify your name, for you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth and unite my heart to fear your name. I give thanks to you, O Lord, my God, and with my, with my whole heart, and I will glorify your name forever. For great is your steadfast love toward me. You have delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. And so, Lord, we do just pray this uh, psalm, these words of David, and just coming to you, Lord, because we acknowledge, like him, we are dependent on you, and you are a God who listens, your steadfast love never ceasing. And so committing this time to you as we consider Uh, this passage from James and Lord praying again that your spirit would be at work in us each one we pray in your name amen right so having read that psalm as a prayer I want you now turn to James chapter 1 and again just to to make the comment that we do not tackle the entire book in one session that can be unfortunate at times because we miss out a lot in terms of the movement and the momentum that a particular letter or book has. And even in chapter 1, from the very first study, we've been dealing with uh, believers, Uh, James himself a believer, writing to persecuted believers, and uh, they're facing difficulties, they're facing trials. And so he addresses and has been addressing their particular uh, trials, and he calls them trials of various kinds. We've seen outward trials, we've seen inward trials, We've seen trials uh, among the rich, amongst the poor. And, and, and so tonight we get to the section and uh, down to verse 16. So do have a look in your Bible. Follow with me from verse 16. Uh, James writes, writes, Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. 
And so tonight I have uh, entitled this particular study, The Goodness of God. And uh, we're going to be focusing on that. We're going to be thinking about the goodness of God, uh, perhaps even trying to address some of our doubts uh, regarding uh, the goodness of God. I do believe there is a tendency in certainly most of us that at some point to imagine that when things go wrong in our lives, we are tempted to think and may even go along and think that God is not good. Or perhaps we put it a little bit differently, we ask the question, is God good? And, and why is he then doing this particular thing to me? Why am I going through a particular difficult set of circumstances? And so there are those thoughts. We must acknowledge them. I think we uh, come before God. He searches us. He knows our thoughts. He, he knows exactly where we're at. And, and there are those times, especially in, in a particular circumstance of uh, tragedy or crisis, uh, hardship, where it comes to us that perhaps uh, God is less than good. And the examples are many. The examples are many. Uh, An illness, a tragic loss of a loved one, uh, even just before this Bible study, having heard of someone in our church who is experiencing uh, grief, the loss of a loved one. Uh, We know people across the world and and even in our country and and don't uh, think it's not even possible in our church. There are people who are suffering in poverty and hardship, uh, not knowing where uh, the next meal will come from, not knowing how they will pay the rent at the end of the month. It, it can be a situation or of a dysfunctional family where this uh, develops into a messy divorce and, and hurt children and, and spouses. And, and, and so the list can go on. The loss of a job, the betrayal of a, a friend. Uh, there are so many, so many instances, circumstances, uh, events and difficulties that can occur and do occur in the course of our lives. Now the Holy Spirit anticipates this kind of thinking in this uh, letter that James is writing and the Spirit is guiding him. Uh, Remember this letter is directed to those first recipients and they are in a difficult situation. They are, have been running for their lives. They're in a foreign context. They've been uh, dislocated or, or removed from the familiar place because of persecution. And, and life for them was tough. And so can you see the anticipation, the wonderful blessing of the providence and provision of God in that through this letter that, that James writes, there's the anticipation of that question that they would be asking, the question that we too do ask at particular times, is God actually good? Uh, How do I fit this particular season of difficulty into an understanding that God is good? Well, James has told them, and uh, he hasn't backpedaled at all regarding uh, the fact that life will now just become easier He's made it plain to them that there is suffering and suffering is inevitable and and will continue in some degree or another or one season or another in the course of our lives. 
And then he, he added uh, another challenge to, to the recipients of this letter regarding them taking responsibility for their choices when it comes to uh, temptation. Uh, in the event of facing uh, temptation and the difficulty of, of, he, of, of, of submitting and, and not turning around afterwards and, and James making it very clear that God cannot be blamed uh, for temptations coming their particular way. And so in that context, the question has got to be asked, is there hope? What is God really like? How is it possible to move forward in your life when there are these complicating circumstances with a nagging voice inside of you that really is uh, forcing you to a place or tempting you to a place of questioning the goodness of God, even luring you, possibly luring you away from God and away from the ways of God. And so this evening I do want to look at this uh, when they're rising doubts. How do we think about the goodness of God? How do we keep loving God in the midst of these rising doubts? Well, very simple outline tonight that I want to present uh, an answer to, an, as an answer to this, these questions we have of doubts and, and, and not coming tonight with uh, pet answers that, that suddenly wipe away every difficulty and hardship or, or, or thought, questioning thought that, that we may have. But, but as the Word of God attempting to reinforce uh, the very nature of, of God in our minds and hearts so that we can, in fact, trust Him in spite of not seeing the way forward in the midst of a particular, even severe difficulty that we may be facing. And so the very first point that I want us to consider tonight is um, God's goodness. Let's think about the gifts, the gifts. And the very first part of the uh, verse 17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. And so the very first question we need to ask ourselves, we need to be thinking about, and we need to do this regularly, is have you received anything good in the course of your life? It is possible that we take things for granted. It is possible that we overlook and and don't see the many, many good things that we have received. And so I thought as uh, uh, an exercise just even today, what What kind of good gifts have you received? When you woke up this morning, uh, were you able to eat breakfast? Were you able to get into a car or uh, find your way through public transport to a job? That is a good thing. Uh, Food is a good thing. Um, Shelter is a good thing. The air we breathe is is a good thing. Uh, And and, and so we, we, we mustn't forget to think about the fact that all of these good gifts, whether we consider them to be little gifts or big gifts, insignificant gifts or uh, very significant gifts, every single gift, every good gift, every perfect gift is from above. Now, that does tell us something about the nature of God. Why would he give these good gifts? 
It expresses something of the goodness of God in what he does in the giving of his gifts and and the way that he, he does it in terms of both the gifts that we receive and the giving of those gifts. You see, these gifts, you will notice in that verse, says that not only are they from above, but every perfect gift. So God is giving us gifts, gifts that we sometimes take for granted, gifts that we perhaps even not aware of, that are perfect for the unfolding of his particular purpose for your life and for my life. And, and it'll be different. It'll be different for me. It'll be different. It'll be different for everybody because we, we, God has a purpose. He has a plan created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared in advance for us to do. And so God equips and God gives so as to facilitate that which he has intended and planned for each and every individual uh, believer. So here's a quotation. Heaven's gifts are of such a nature that they cannot be bettered in any way. Now, there's a sense in which we have to receive that kind of truth by faith. Do we believe that? Do we believe that God is good, that he does give good and perfect uh, gifts, and, and that these gifts do accomplish all that God intends as a God who is righteous in all that he does? But then that moves us on to a second point, and I want to develop this idea of God's goodness and speak about him as the giver. So again, verse 17, every good and perfect gift is from above, from the coming down from the Father of the lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Now, remember back in verse 5, James had already uh, made the point about God that it is God speaking in that context about wisdom but raising the issue of generosity or the generosity of God God who gives generously so understand that God 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 is not holding back he's not mingy he's not stingy he's he he gives generously and and we know of course that that nothing uh, is exhausted in God uh, not like us who get tired or, or, or run out of energy or, or run out of any kind of resource. Not no. God is inexhaustible. And so he gives everything that is possibly needed. He does not hold back. God is a superb and generous giver. But this reference here that uh, James makes to the lights, it does take us and our thoughts back to the beginning of the Bible and the book of Genesis. What, what is he referring to? Well, he's referring to the fact that God is the creator and specifically speaking about light. And I'm going to uh, say, uh, raise in a minute why he raises the issue of light. But do remember that way back in those opening chapters of Genesis where uh, God is creating and God says, let there be light. And there was light. And furthermore, we're told that he made Two great lights. There was the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. And of course, we know that this is the sun and and the moon. And so what James is driving home at, he's wanting us to see, he wants us to see that our God, this God who is all powerful and, and the creator God, 
who made everything, but specifically these lights. James is revealing something to us in the context of the giving of gifts that God is committed to light. John tells us, 1 John chapter 1 verse 5, This is the message we've heard from him and proclaimed to you. Now this is something about God. God is light. In him is no darkness at all. So as the creator of these light sources that we can look at and see, we do in the morning, look up and we see the sun, and in the evening we see the sun, and, 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 and then at night we see the moon. And, and so as the creator of these light sources in the universe, God is in himself the eternal, uncreated light. Now remember, we're trying to explore something of the nature of God in trying to understand, is God good? Well, light and darkness, we know throughout the Bible, correspond to good and evil. Light as a representation of good and darkness as a representation of evil. Again, if we look at John chapter 3 verse 19, uh, describing the nature of uh, a depraved humanity. Uh, John writes, he says, People love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. So you see the difference. We, we people, the tendency is that we prefer darkness. We, 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 we are involved in, in sin and, and acts of depravity. And look around the world, you see it. Uh, everywhere you look, you can't miss it. God is not like that. God is not like that. Uh, the Father instead, again to go to another verse, again John, uh, this time chapter 1 verse 9, the Father has sent His Son into the world, and then He speaks of Him as the true light. The true goodness, the true light, which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. Now, now I'm, I'm trying to emphasize this evening from what James is saying. If at any time you are questioning, asking, is God good? Yes, God is good. <laughs> he is light. In him there is no darkness. There is goodness. There is no evil. And, and, and then to add, to add to this, the, James continues, he says, we need to apply to this truth from the beginning, God is light. Before the beginning, God is light. After the beginning, God is light. Into eternity, God is light. Because why? In whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Now, we understand change. We understand shadows that move. You sit at a coffee shop and you think you're going to be in the shade for, a shade for the next 30 minutes. But before long, uh, the shade has moved and you have the sun beating down uh, on you uh, because the shadows just keep moving and and everything around us keeps changing uh, people change we change uh, the world is changing money's value uh, changes your garden is changing the weather's changing everything is changing changing not god light unchanging good unchanging the goodness of god always God's goodness, again I'm quoting an older author here, God's goodness is always at high noon. No shadows. God is eternally and infinitely good. 
He stands like an eternal sun in a cloudless sky, radiating unbroken goodness upon us. God will always be good to us. Which leads me, leads me now to my third point, and I'm going to speak again about God's goodness, but now I'm going to speak about the great gift, a gift that uh, the gift that James also refers to in this uh, passage. Let's remember that at the beginning, or even before the beginning, uh, God acted freely in His goodness when He created the universe. In the same way, He acts freely in recreating spiritual life in people who are dead in trespasses and sins. It's the one special proof, this recreating of people who are dead in their sins, giving them life and light. It's, it's, it's a special proof of the goodness of God. And it's expressed in so many different ways in the Bible. And I'll give you a couple of examples. Uh, this, this change, this, this new start, this, this reality that, that, that God brings about uh, in people who don't, uh, who don't have it in and of themselves. The prophet Jeremiah speaks of a heart on which the law is written. Jeremiah 31, uh, verse 31 to 34. Ezekiel, I love Ezekiel's uh, analogy, speaks of God replacing the heart of stone with a heart of flesh. Wonderful miracle, a heart that despised God, that was indifferent towards God, even hard towards God. God removes that heart and he places a new heart and, and the disposition of that person becomes affectionate and, and, and uh, uh, loving uh, toward God. Paul uses the analogy of, uh, and the picture of a new creation in 2 Corinthians 5.17. And then James, yeah, in our passage that we have before us, looks back to the teaching of Jesus to Nicodemus about being born again. Let me read verse 18. Speaking of God, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be the first fruits of his creatures. Hey, God is at work. This God who is good, this God who is light, and, 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 and this goodness of God is yet being revealed in the giving of this great gift, this gift of salvation, to people who are spiritually dead. God creates this new creature, this new disposition. And if we think about the parable of the soils, God creates new soil, fertile soil, to receive rather than oppose the message of the gospel, to receive and trust the Lord Jesus as Savior. Now why does God do that? People often have debates about why God doesn't uh, save everyone. Why does he save anyone is really the question we should ask. And, and, and the reason is God does save people because he's good. And not because people are deserving. No one is deserving. No, not one. Uh, salvation is from God. An entirety uh, that we need to understand of his work. And it must impress upon us the importance of this truth of the goodness of God. 
And so here's, here's the argument, and I'm going to show you that we see it elsewhere in, in Scripture as well. If being a true Christian inescapably proves that God is good, in other words, God has done the big act of kindness and goodness in saving you as a believer from your sin and giving you the gift of eternal life. That's a big gift. That's a display of the generous and superb uh, goodness of God. Now, if that is so, then there is no need for you to doubt His goodness in respect of what we would perceive to be smaller things. And again, uh, the Apostle Paul actually puts this uh, in, in words in Romans chapter 8, verse 32. He says, He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him? graciously give us all things now of course he's not speaking there about giving us all things that we want big house and a portion overseas holidays every year and and living in the lap of luxury that's that's a pursuit of of selfishness and self-centeredness god will give us everything that we need for life and for godliness argument is from the greater to the to the lesser. Once you've experienced the spiritual rebirth, the reality of being born again, you know that your Savior will not give you anything bad. He's not going to give you that which is going to be malicious. He's only going to give you that which is good and perfect. That surely must be under deep or, or further understood if we have a deeper understanding of, of, of this birth uh, that he speaks about yeah. You say in the same way, remember that, well, remember, you don't remember, I don't remember. You did not bring yourself into this world. You were totally dependent on your parents and ultimately uh, your mother. You're totally dependent on God for him to save you by grace. It's a wonderful blessing to be a recipient of that act of kindness and goodness from God. For by grace you've been saved through faith, not your own doing. It is the gift of God not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So just the reality of the birth uh, of of becoming a Christian, again, pointing to the generous goodness of God. Then going on, he speaks about what I've called the instrument of the new birth, uh, God the Holy Spirit working in human hearts uh, in connection with the hearing of God's word. So God chooses means He uses the means of the scripture, of of the word of God, of the gospel. And so what we find is that uh, in a broader context, we understand the gospel as the father sends the son. The son secures salvation through his work on this earth, culminating uh, on the cross. And then, of course, his resurrection and ascension, uh, redemption accomplished. A phrase I love to, to, to repeat again and again, because let's never forget what happened on that great day uh, on on the cross, and then the Holy Spirit applying that redemption to different people, applying the work of Jesus uh, to men and women from every nation, tribe, and language down through the ages, uh, starting at the, that small group right at the beginning and multiplying exponentially down through the ages, uh, and we have evidence of that down through the years. What is the instrument? Well, it's w- the Word of God of His own will. He brought us forth. By the word 
of truth. Now that's why it's central. We are committed to the scriptures. We don't care what other people are saying about don't preach this or don't do that or dilute this or skip that. No, 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 no. We preach the word of God because God uses his word. We trust him. We don't trust ourselves. We don't trust people in their opinions. Faith comes from hearing, Romans chapter 10 verse 17, and hearing through the word of Christ. And again, the Apostle Peter makes a similar statement in his letter, chapter 1 verse 23, since you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. And then there is a third element here, is the intention of the new birth in verse 18, that we should be the first fruits of of his creatures. These first century Christians, they were tokens, uh, evidence of this amazing harvest of Christians to follow. And it has happened and it continues to happen, succeeding generations right through to the end when Jesus ultimately comes and there is to be the new heaven and the new earth. So every time God performs another miracle of conversion, it sends a message not only of his goodness, but the privilege believers have has been set apart as here is another trophy of grace. Here is another bit of evidence that God is good. I like the picture uh, that we have from the prophet uh, Zechariah. Gives a wonderful picture of this this act of goodness uh, by God as he saves people from condemnation in Zechariah chapter 3. Uh, Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, O Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. And then this phrase, Is not this a brand plucked from the fire? Now you can imagine we South Africans, we know all about fire and bryflace and and bonfire. And, and there's sticks and, and the pieces of wood. And the picture given over here is you've got a fire burning. And there, there, there's a brand uh, burning. There's a stick. And, and God comes along and he takes it out. And he rescues it from the fire. Now, I want to end by going to another psalm. My favorite, one of my favorite psalms anyway. Psalm 73. Because Psalm 73 actually helps us understand uh, the true definition of the goodness of God. Asaph struggled. He had been taught that God is good. But he looked around him in the world and, and he, he was envious, he says, of the arrogant when he saw the prosperity of the wicked. And there's an account that follows a number of verses where he himself has gone through a particular difficulty, but it looks like to him, people who have no regard for God actually have the better life, the easy life, the comfortable life, the good life. But God teaches him a lesson, and eventually in the very presence of God, God opens up his eyes to an eternal perspective of reality. And the thought that comes to my mind right now is, think of the condemned murderer on death row, waiting to be executed. And he is given the opportunity to choose his final meal and can choose anything in the world. 
and he's given whatever he chooses, caviar, prawns, crayfish, steak, I'm not, whatever. And, and in those moments, if one were to look only at that instant, you would say, wow, this guy has got it good. Has he? No, he hasn't. Not if you open up your perspective on the broader scheme of things. And that's, that's the lesson. That's the lesson that God taught Asaph. When he entered into the presence of God, he suddenly saw the condemnation. In fact, I read the verse. Truly, you set them in slippery places. All these people who are eating their final meals. You make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away by terrors. Do you see our, our, our perspective needs to open? God has eternal purposes. God has greater purposes than just in a single moment of time. Asaph eventually gets to the point and he asks the question, Whom have I in heaven but you? In other words, he's saying, What is that one thing that really counts and, and actually helps me understand that I am a recipient of the goodness of God. Whom have I in heaven but you? There is nothing on earth I desire besides you. And then he sees, he sees the, the truth. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and portion forever. I think we all were captivated this week a little bit by the funeral of the death and the funeral of Queen Elizabeth. All the pomp and ceremony and, and uh, uh, life lived, 96 years, wonderful life lived. But it's over. It's over. And everybody's life will soon be over. And, and so uh, the, the true goodness, you see, but for me, says Asaph, it is good to be near God. It's, 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 it's that relationship. It, it's that connection. It's that uh, union with Christ that, that actually defines the goodness of God. Yes, we are going to grieve. And, and, and there are going to be days when the sun is shining, as it were, in our lives. But there are going to be other days where there are going to be clouds. And there are going to be difficulties. We don't define the goodness by a particular event on a particular day. We certainly express gratitude for all those good and perfect gift that God, gifts that God does give. But governing that, around that, above that, we need to understand that the goodness of God is knowing God. It's being his child. It's been accepted by him. It's been uh, the reality of being born again into the family of God. And so therefore the response, the response is, Lord, I've made, uh, I've made the Lord God my refuge. So the challenge of this study is even in the midst of our difficulties, and we difficulties are there, they, they will happen, they do happen, they have happened. The challenge is to trust God as your father, as the one you know savingly, as the one who will usher you through these difficulties and bring you ultimately into heaven and glory and his presence. And 
an existence that we don't even know the indescribable nature of what it will be like. Now, I thought I'd actually close with this illustration. As you know, we used to live in Peter Maritzburg. We served in a church down there, and we loved uh, the Natal Midlands. Many people have said, and, and we got to agree with that, that the Midlands, South Africa's best-kept secret. Well, one thing about the Midlands is they have lots of mist. And sometimes when you're driving in the early morning or at night time, it can be quite difficult. It's quite difficult. And I remember I would keep my eyes on the road driving, going to visit somebody uh, at a particular place. And, and the mist is heavy and, and you can't see. And, and putting the bright lights just makes it worse. And I remember even on occasion winding my window down and looking out so I can follow the dotted lines uh, painted on the road. Can't see uh, 10 meters ahead. You can't see perhaps not even 5 meters ahead. But as you travel along and, and eventually 5, 10, 15 minutes or 15 kilometers later, the mist lifts and you see before you the lush and beautiful rolling green hills of the Natal Midlands. I think our work with God is something like that. Sometimes, and I'm, I've been there, so I am there, uh, you can't see one step ahead because everything seems so dark and so, so discouraging and so hopeless and without purpose. But we need to exercise faith. We need to look out the window and look at the lines painted on the road. We need to look and see the scriptures. Follow the word of God knowing that this is something we've received from God to encourage us, to guide us, to enable us to have faith, to enable us to have trust in Him in the context of that greatest good gift uh, that He has given to us. And so I'll leave that with you tonight. Uh, think about this whole issue of uh, the goodness um, of God. I have also added a couple of uh, comments here, questions. And uh, for those who do go to this next step, if you are in a group, if you'd like to take a photograph of that, and then you can use those questions to have some further study um, as well. But thank you for joining me tonight, and I do pray that you would be one who knows and experiences and trusts God who is good. So, Lord, continue with us. But I do want to pray for people, any among us, Lord, who feel the burdens and the weight of difficulty, of suffering, of disappointment and, and doubt. Oh Lord, we believe that you've sent your Holy Spirit. And even tonight, pray that your Spirit would so work, reminding and comforting and counseling and stirring peace in the hearts of your children, we pray, to the glory of your name. Amen. Amen.